On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out to Jesus, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were there not ten that were clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to the Samaritan, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship in this service. And as they depart, let us bow together and pray. We would pray this day, O God, for the good grace to be able to listen for your still small voice that permeates and reaches every human heart. That this day we might give ourselves more fully to you and be transformed by the mystery and power of your love made flesh in Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen. And so, friends, today, if you'll pledge, here's what I'm going to promise you. I'm going to promise you that you'll get a blessing, unmeasured, poured down, that will multiply. But wait, that's not all. If you will act now, you were, your pledge will center your life and help connect you. And we'll throw in something else in addition. We'll give you a free baptism or a free burial, depending on which one you need more in the coming year. Still not convinced? Wait. There's more. With every pledge, we'll throw in not one, not two, but three deeper healings. How am I doing? I've been accused of many things in my life, but never of being a salesman. I have been accused, however, of being a preacher. Preachers sometimes take beautiful, tender passages like the story we read from Luke and misuse it, misapply it, to, as a way to invoke guilt or shame in other people. I'm sure if I looked into my files, I could find a sermon where I said, in essence, you don't want to be like those ungrateful nine who were healed and didn't come back to say thanks. Your mama didn't raise you that way. You're not a cad. You're not self-centered. Get down here and thank Jesus right now. This morning we're going to talk about making pledges. And too often, I'm afraid, pledges get reduced to a form of payoff, almost a bribe. Or if not a payoff, a form of paying dues. Saying we got to 
keep the, keep the building going or paying back, kind of a quid pro quo. God gives us something, we give God something back. But this story is far more. And the, the invitation to pledge is far more. This story ultimately is a love story. A love story. Between the one who has come as the holy made flesh, looking out on humanity and seeing people like lepers and saying, you matter, you count. I'm coming after you to heal you and bless you and make you part of the family. It's a love story. And then it's a love story that's reciprocated. This leper who comes and recognizes his cleansing, came from Jesus, turns back and returns to Jesus to say, thank you. Thank you. He prostrates himself at Jesus' feet, an, an act of humility and, and intimacy that is so profoundly beautiful. So while at the beginning of the hour I apologize to those of you who are visiting with us because the sermon is about money, I want to say at the same time this is really a sermon about love, about intimate love. Now let me be quick to say that there are lots of ways to show love for God besides giving money. And many of you do it in countless ways every single day. And God sees it and receives it and blesses it. And I also want to be quick to say that the church is not God. We're clear about that. And at the same time, we are clear that the church is the body of Christ. We are, for good or bad, we're the flesh of God's presence in this particular time and place. We're it. We're what the world sees. And so to participate in this church by our financial giving is a form of loyalty. It says in love that we're going to be here in a consistent, self-giving way. To give money is to say, in essence... I'm going to be loyal to the vows I made at baptism to make Jesus Lord and to give what I'm called upon to give. It says, in essence, this isn't just a one-night stand, just a momentary emotional kind of fling. This is a commitment into the future of my resources, of who I am and what I have, what I have this financial expression of my life so that God and Highland can count on me to bring my love into this place and let it be multiplied. In a sense, pledging is kind of a a love language. If you've been to a marriage class, marriage enrichment retreat, you hear people talk about love language. Love language is uh, how you say to your partner, I love you, without using words. How you communicate your affection and your loyalty and your commitment without saying words. It's personal. It's almost romantic. It's, it's like making coffee at our house. You see, I don't like coffee. I confess this. I know you're shocked. I confess this to the search committee 17 years ago when they approached me, I said, I don't play golf and I don't drink coffee. I'm really not qualified to be a pastor. I think coffee tastes like 
what a mud puddle inside of a nuclear power plant might taste like. (laughs) And yet, every evening, I set up a little four-cup pot of coffee to go on the next morning at 5.53. For at 6 o'clock in the morning, my beloved rises, and she rises as if from the dead. And she needs coffee like a vampire needs blood. (laughs) So part of my setting up the coffee is self-preservation, I'll admit that. But more than that, it is for me a ritual. Cleaning out the coffee pot from the day before, getting out the filter, scooping the coffee, putting just the right amount of sugar in the coffee pot now emptied of water so that when the coffee's made it has just the right amount of sugar those are all ways that I say I love you this kind of act for me grounds me in the gratitude of my relationship with my beloved it speaks of a mutuality and a unity that that we share together and so I do it not just now and then not hit or miss, but I do it every night. And in fact, when I'm away on a trip, I call to say, now you're going to set up my coffee for me tomorrow, right? It's how we say I love you. In the same way, I think a pledge at its best is a love language to God. It's about gratitude for God's transforming love that comes to every person as it did to Ben, that awakens in you this sense of who you really are as a child of God, of how you're being called into something bigger and more beautiful. And it's an act of gratitude to say, I get this. I see how this heals me and heals the world. And thank you. Thank you. It also recognizes, I think, That God needs us to recognize what God gives to us, what comes through us, in order to complete the cycle or the circle of love. Now, I know that some people really blanch at the idea of God needing us. God doesn't need us, they'll say. But the Bible shows us that God again and again has been clear That God has chosen to communicate and be in relationship with us so that the divine love comes through human beings like you and me to multiply it, to make it flesh again, to bring in those people who are the lepers of our day. Just like Jesus' story of healing the lepers, it's a story of intimacy. And vulnerability and tenderness that's so poignant it almost feels awkward to be witnessing when you're with someone. When you read a story like the one in Luke 17 where the man lies himself at at the feet of Jesus to say thank you. It's so personal. You almost expect someone to say hey get a room. This is too personal. We don't need... But it's what we do. It's what we do together. This has caused me to think again about a part of our church service 
When I came to be your pastor back in 1997, one of the early things I did was move the time of the offering from before the sermon, from, from, from before the sermon to after the sermon. Collecting the offering before the sermon just seemed a little premature to me. And although I realized that gathering the offering after the sermon has its risks, what if I make you mad and you don't like the sermon and so you don't give any money? At the same time, it fits better with the time in our service that is dedicated to responding. To responding. So we've made this move. But then it feels to me, and I'll speak personally, that the offering has become almost an afterthought, kind of forgotten, sort of a utilitarian way for us to gather up the money we need to keep the church going. I want to suggest something profoundly different. What if the central act, the central act of our gathering for worship every Sunday was not the call to worship, Not the processional hymn, not the choral anthem, as beautiful as it is, not the sermon, but was the offering. When the plate goes down the aisle and back, up and down the rows, not as simply a way to gather the money, but what if it was a time of individual and corporate intimacy that says, God, I love you. I love you. That could feel a little bit conspicuous and embarrassing, except for this. We're all doing it together. It's our corporate act of worship. I hope you have private moments with God. I know that you do. But the offering is a way for us together to say, God, I love you. I think this explains why for a while I've had this dis-ease, if you will, with a program that we use to gather money that's wonderful, and I, I recommend it. But it's caused me a little dis-ease, and that is when, when we use the auto-pay, the auto-deduction, the back bank draft, or the online payment, it's wonderful. It's great for reliability that allows your, your offering to be here, whether you're here or not, because we often are out and traveling. It's a wonderful thing for the church, and I promote it. But here's my fear. It becomes too easy. It becomes too automatic, too rote. It becomes too invisible and, frankly, thoughtless. It's something that happens offline and away from this experience of worship. And I think it, if we're not careful, could fail to have that sense of God, I love you. It would be like hiring a coffee company to come and deliver a pot of coffee each day at our house. It's efficient, but it's not intimate. It's not personal. It's not tactile. So here's what I want to suggest we do. I want to invite us as a community of faith to make the offering a more central part of what we do and are. Not to get more money, but to get more love in the room, 
and in our hearts, to make it more intimate and intentional as we pass the plates, to make this a sacred time as music or choir sings each week to have this act of giving and receiving. Here's the second thing I'm proposing we do. Our Faithful Giving Ministry Group has developed some language for a little card that we're going to begin placing in the pew racks alongside the offering envelopes beginning next week. Here's what it will say. God, my financial gifts to Highland have been given in another way. So I place this card in the plate today to symbolize both to you and to me that I love you, God, and give my offering as a tangible and ongoing act of devotion to you. Because the truth of the matter is, many of us in this room do not give every week. It's not that we're not tithing or giving faithfully, but some of us, like the church staff, are only paid twice a month, and we we give as we receive our income. Many of you are paid once a month. Some of you use the auto payment. This little card is not magic, but it's the it holds in it the possibility of there being this moment of devotion, of saying, I love you. And then, hearing not as echo, but as reply, I love you too. Or perhaps better, I loved you first. It is, for me, this gift of transforming love coming back to us that allows us to discover what it means to be whole and holy people. When I was in high school, we read some short stories by an author that went by the pseudonym O. Henry. I loved O. Henry because any story that was short was good with me. But many of us will remember reading O. Henry's little story called The Gift of the Magi. The Magi were the wise men in the Christmas story. It's the story of Jim and Della, a young couple, newly married, living at the turn of the last century in a time when money was very, very tight. They were so poor that really they had two prized possessions that they held so dear. Jim had inherited from his father a little pocket watch that he loved so much. Della had hair that flowed all the way down her back and beyond her knees. It kind of enveloped her like a blanket. It was this beautiful uh, head of hair. Well, it was Christmas time, and Della was trying to save money to buy her beloved Jim a gift, but all, all she had been able to save was $1.87. She went out in some despair to the shopping district when she happened by a store of a wig maker, and she had an idea. She went in and asked, how much would you give me for my hair? And when the wig maker offered her $20, she said, cut it quick, and took the $20 and left. She went out to shop and found what she thought would be the perfect gift. She bought for Jim a watch chain and a fob for his beloved pocket watch. She couldn't wait to get home 
to wrap the gift and for Jim to come home that evening so she could give it to him. But when she got home, she looked in the mirror and saw, for the first time, her hair gone. Oh, Henry writes, she went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friends, a mammoth task. Well, she did what she could to make her hair look acceptable before Jim arrived. And when Jim arrived and walked in the door and saw his beloved Della, he was stunned. You cut your hair? Yeah, Jim, I cut it, but it grows back really fast. You know, Your hair is gone? Oh, Jim, don't you love me anymore? Am I not attractive to... He gathered Della into his arms and assured her of his love as he gave her his Christmas gift to her, a set of beautiful tortoise shell combs that she had been admiring for weeks in the nearby store. She began to cry and almost forgot to give him his gift. She gave him the gift. As he unwrapped it, she said, I looked for it everywhere. And as he opened it and saw the chain, she said, Oh, Jim, get out your watch. Let's see how it looks on the chain. Jim pulled his beloved wife to him and said, Let's put these gifts away. They are too nice to use just as presents. Della, I sold my watch to get the money to buy your combs. I remembered the story all the way back from high school, but when I reread it this week, I read the ending and heard it at a different level. As O. Henry writes, the Magi, as you know, were the wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the giving of Christmas presents. And being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I've told the story of two young people in an apartment whose most unwisely sacrifice for each other, sacrificed for each other their greatest treasures. But this one last word to the wise. Let it be said that of all the gifts given, these two were the wisest. And all who give and receive gifts such as they are wisest. They are the magi. As with Jim and Della, so with God. Love given is love returned. And something is born. There's a new creation. Maybe not every time. Like human love, it's not always transforming. It's not always explicit. It waxes, it wanes, it hits, it's miss, it misses. But it's worth hoping for. It's worth listening for. It's worth believing in. Let's pray together. May we hear your word of love that transforms everything and makes it new. 
as it is revealed and shown in the life and death and resurrection of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And may it even today be heard for the first time or for the thousandth time by the people gathered here. And may it transform us to be your people. In the name of your love made flesh, Jesus the Lord, we pray. Amen.